0: Hey everyone, we are back. This is Dr. Spider with a quick little producer's note. This episode was originally recorded on October 26th, 2022, so there are some events which may have happened in the world of business and economics between when this podcast was recorded and when it went live. So please keep that in mind and enjoy the show. On we are back in three, two, one. Alrighty, so hey everybody.
1: Oh my, it's been a while. It's it's been a
0: while. Yeah. Like, I, I think the whole staring at the sun on a weekly basis, starting when COVID was about to kick off for, I think we, like, what, two years-ish? Yeah. Got to be a little much. Um. Yeah.
1: And also, like, you know, like, shit happens in real life. You know how it goes. Yeah. Like, I'm still, you know, I'm still in university doing my thing. (sighs) It's partly why we haven't been doing episodes, and partly because, you know, frankly, we were burned out. We didn't have a hell of a lot to say either.
0: Yeah. Like, it it did get to a point of. It was feeling like, okay, and now we're on to the transit and logistics section. Oh, it's the same thing as last week, but a different particular company or particular sector or like, you know. Yeah.
1: Like, there's only so many times you can look at add this kind of thing. So, like, didn't we do this last week? Yeah, it's just kind of like, poke like, you a stick. Like, come on, fall over already.
0: Like, I personally want to lodge a complaint with this reality's writers. Because, guys, girls, theys, it's, Ugh. horrific cosmic entities that we shouldn't be contemplating, whatever the fuck you are, the best you gave us. Since this shit kicked off, like, like since basically, like, Trump got out of office in terms of amazingly dumb economic bullshit that was actually funny, was that time you jammed a ship in the Suez Canal. Yeah. That was fucking funny. Not gonna <laughs> lie, that was totally funny. But it's been a long-ass time since we've had a gimme like that.
1: Yeah. Like, even the recent... Uh, the reason Liz Trust Bank, like, you know, killing the queen, destroying the bond market, like, all those things, like, yeah, they were kind of funny, but also, like,
0: I don't know. Like, like it felt like a sweep sweet gimmick, you know?
1: Yes, yes. And it's like, you know, other shows covered it a little bit. A little more comprehensively, because, like, they actually live there. God's help them.
0: But... Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it, like, all all I know from folks I've kept in touch with over there is the Tories can agree that the Tories should be in charge, and that's about all they can agree on right now. Pretty much.
1: I even, which Tories?
0: Just gonna point out, and we did report this on this pod, there was that little thing that happened in 2021, I think, where a British cop shot a white stag, agent of the crown. You know, totally not a bad omen there. Oh, yeah. Like, not tempting the fae in any way possible.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess... Now we know who they picked as their agent for resolving this.
0: (laughs) But yeah, so what brings us back is, well, it's kind of safe to say, I mean, part of it is, you know, I think at least some of the burnout isn't quite as there. And also, like, we seem to actually be approaching a real tipping point of shit about to really be happening again like
1: there's a whole bunch of sources you can point out um, like u.s midterms i feel like talking about them or i'm gonna go mad talking about measure 114 look it up on your own time um it's i'll like, be over
0: here ranting about fucking city hall in san francisco so
1: yeah (laughs) like just you know getting really mad about like local shit blowing up and also like the rise of this gaggle of weird fascists
0: like yeah like i mean we could do that because we are pretty dab hand at that shit out of necessity but there are other folks who have done that better Uh and there's maybe like five people which is stuff like us understand unpacking economics i think that guy on youtube and you know like maybe not much more than that who actually can explain economics in ways that make sense and doesn't depend on repeating sections of capital over and over
1: Yeah, like, I mean, there's a bit more than that, but, like, (laughs) there's just, there's not that much out there, and, like, the only thing I can really think of is, like, um, diving into the wreckage, that Antifada miniseries that Sean is doing with um, Cedar and Farn. I don't agree with everything they have to say about all this, but... It's been pretty good, but also like I think they're simultaneously a bit optimistic and also a bit they're doomer, but not in the right way in my opinion.
0: It's funny. Yeah. Well, like, I think that like generally when you look at how the left talks about economics is it has like Like I mean, obviously, we broadly agree with left-wing economic positions because that's pretty much where we've been since day one. Um, Yeah. But, like, generally the way leftists talk about economic analysis is they assume that because the analysis of base and superstructure, material conditions and social conditions and all that other stuff that I'm sure everybody's heard an umpteen million times, if you're listening to this podcast, is true, then therefore that's also, at least on some level, how everybody else is thinking about it as well. Um and there I think is also a tendency broadly mm-hmm. not to like QAnon levels, but just sort of broadly on the left to assume a greater degree of coordination among the capitalist class than actually exists. Yeah. I and also a tendency to overestimate their intelligence, because Yeah, as we've seen in the last two years, these people are fucking stupid.
1: Like, yeah. This is... I mean, I would agree. Like, a lot of the time, there's this kind of baseline assumption that... I don't know. These people are, you know, smarter than me, and if they're not, then that's a phenomenon that happened only recently. And... You know, this is this is new, this is novel. <laughs> Nothing about this is new or particularly novel. They've always been like this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at for example, Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, the dude who built Versailles and, you know, is heralded as creating like the absolute estate in France, whose like record of starting and winning fights and advancing geopolitical goals was like about on the same level as elon musk's business ventures you know um actually kind of a a little worse like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you know when you actually look at the record of some of these people that are described as great statesmen or captains of industry or whatever they kind of really fuck up a lot and mostly just have the benefits of a lot of money and power to make up for fucking up
1: yeah and also it's like you've never seen JP Morgan's leaked tweets like you're never gonna see that because nobody power to record that uh, those sorts of you know internal uh, inanities. <laughs> Like this is an era where we can finally see, you know, every inane thought that a person can put into a hundred and forty or now it's two hundred and eighty characters. It's been like two eighty for a while. And so it's like I mean, what are you supposed to do with this information? Like
0: Yeah. Like, I guarantee, if Howard Hughes was alive today, he would be the most incredible shit poster. Oh, like, man. Like, he would be amazing.
1: That, or he'd be a cute guy.
0: It's a, Probably both.
1: Yeah, it would depend on what era we got him from.
0: <laughs> like, like, he did, like, go full on, like, uber germaphobe towards the end and had something about, like, storing his piss in bottles, but, you know.
1: Yeah. That's, that's probably why I think he'd be a QAnon guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it just kind of goes back to proving the point of, these guys have lots of wealth and power to get away with shit. Like, you know, if I go completely, like, whatever trauma it is leads to me thinking that Every doorknob is covered in anthrax, and I have to store my piss in bottles. If I did that, then my partner dumps me, and I'm having fun trying to find a place that lets me keep piss in bottles. But if I'm Howard Hughes and I do that, then Scorsese is going to direct Leonardo DiCaprio to play me on the silver screen. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much.
1: So, we think the economy is fucked, but, like, we... that's been our thesis from a long time ago. Day one? I want to say day
0: one. Like, yeah, day one. Like, I mean, day one, we said it was broadly fucked, but I think that's because we were talking about Brexit. Um, and Brexit. And Trump almost started. Didn't Trump almost start World War Three? I think?
1: Yeah. And, oh fuck. There was like.
0: Those were the days. There was
1: the primary bullshit, and oh yeah, we were due for an economic crisis. Like, Q4, yeah. 2019, was pretty fucking dark as far as these people were concerned. Um, but they were like, well, you know, we're going to suffer a correction soon. Like there's just there's some more about Mike. We're gonna we're gonna have to take some outs here, and of course, what happens is, well,
0: motherfucking apocalypse.
1: Yep, like that's that's certainly one way to get out of a economic crisis. Yeah, you know, make it so drastic that in the in a panic, the Fed. Refloats the economy with you know restoring investor confidence just enough just enough that the whole thing doesn't just immediately keel over
0: for you know the low low price of 10 trillion with a t dollars yes did not have to go through congress was not subject to an appropriations bill the fed just went here's a check We really don't care what you spend it on.
1: Yeah. And, well, what happened? We've been lurching in and out of a possible recession ever since. Like, that's that's pretty much... You know.
0: Yeah. Like, that's... Like, because the Fed and even i mean congress actually injecting money into people's pockets Mm -hmm. made a measurable difference like this is one thing that i do think is to put out in front is the fed shooting 10 trillion dollars into space to make wall street have a boner doesn't really seem to have done much that can be discernible in terms of impact beyond you know keeping a lot of zombie firms going and maybe also helping with a lot of dumb speculative bullshit um but there have been a few studies that have been done around the direct cash payments like the bernie bucks and like the um direct like pandemic aid and stuff like that that happened or like trump and like beginning of biden and what has been consistently found is doing that legitimately was the first time at least since like either of the hosts of this podcast have been alive that the poverty rate in the u.s substantially decreased yeah like and it (laughs) actually stabilized local economies um so you know (laughs) I I guess you could say we have just had like an A-B study that says what happens when you give money to rich people versus what happens when you give money to everybody else.
1: Yeah, and it's like I think we went pretty hard on them for not doing more in this vein, but what they did do was quite a bit.
0: Well, like, and I want to say that we were right to give them shit for not doing more and even what they did which was anemic compared to like say the european union the pacific rim and other like parts of the world that the us likes to compare itself to even though it was like shit and bad and not the levels it should have been it's still at the levels that it was done at made a measurable difference in improving people's lives on a societal level in a way that like literally has not happened since Ronald Reagan got into office
1: pretty much so
0: <sighs> maybe give poor people money <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> so but, like this doesn't feel like this should be a radical argument but
1: yeah so I guess we should get on with like the topic for today's episode, which is, yeah, yeah. the economy is fucked, but why? Why Why is it fucked? What's, what's the issue here? Now we've had like, you know, like we've had like, you know, six months or so to let this percolate a bit. Okay, what are we seeing now?
0: Yeah, and more specifically, we are saying with increasing confidence, again, pointing out that we did call the quarter one 2022 crash. Uh It wasn't necessarily in a particular way we expected, but the economic fallout of the war, nonetheless, yeah, there it is. So, you know, putting that on the table... Uh and putting it on the table that our broad strokes early predictions about COVID and what it would do to supply chains and everything else were mostly pretty much right and have played out. What we're going to get into now is that from what we can see and based on available data, we are now in the opening stages of when the bottom really falls out. Like, because for longtime listeners, and this is something that we definitely brought up early on in 2020, one thing that isn't taught about, and like longtime listeners will know about this, but this is, you know, a refresher for everybody. One thing that isn't talked about as much when the Great Depression is taught in schools or popular discourse or whatever is. Everybody thinks about the big stock market crash at the beginning and then go, oh, stock market crash, bank runs, and then a quarter of the population is unemployed. And what's funny is when you look at the newspaper headlines from the day after the famous Wall Street crash, they mostly said things like market recovers most of previous day's loss or market correction has been endured and other stuff like that, because in truth, The market, like, the stock market and, like, the full extent of unemployment, which particularly got kicked into overdrive by shit like the Dust Bowl, didn't really hit the, like, Hooverville's level that we tend to picture until, like, 1932. Yeah. Like, good three years after the crash. So, like, we've been basically sort of in that bubble that existed between the first crash and when the bottom actually gave out. And now we're there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, the term we're mostly searching for here is mismatching. We're still not seeing any real signs that the mismatch between what is being produced and what is being consumed is fixed. Like, yeah some raw materials have recovered. Um, others are in major shortage right now. Um, neon comes to mind. Um, and we've got a situation where basically um, like a lot of intermediate goods aren't being produced on the time frames that they should be. We're having like rapid boom-bust cycles with raw goods like yeah, you know, the lumber industry. Remember when you could get wood for Lover Buddy? Oh
0: that was fun.
1: Yeah. That was uh, that was something else. Um and then you've got Finished goods just not appearing. Like I remember um bitching about a certain laptop uh, the Pinebook Pro uh, which came out in 2020 I finally have one it's it's pretty good Um, it's not quite what I expected but to build it it took two years for the situation to recover enough that they could finally scrape together the parts for their run Um, it took them like over a year to find another screen supplier. Um, and the screen in there is not like... It's not anything special. It's just a 14-inch 1080 AP panel. It's, it's nothing special. Like, they should be everywhere, but they're not. Um, GPUs and CPUs have finally recovered, but you know, now the economy is soft, um, and like, the latest generation of CPUs and GPUs, they've decided to go all in on boosting performance by boosting the amount of power they can take, which I am sure that works great if you're in, like, the United Kingdom or France or something where the energy bills are ruinously high. like, Yeah. It's
0: the muscle car solution when oil prices are too high. Um,
1: Yeah, hmm. like you're... uh, Like, the 4090 is like, you know, you can't afford it anyway. It's like $1,600. And even if you could, it consumes 450 watts. Oh, and uh, it sets itself on fire. Um, So they're going to have to source some new connectors and such because like you know shoving 450 watts into a GPU board is an easy task
0: and for like you know other good examples of mismatching we have just the spectacular shit show that has been the metaverse <laughs> just like all things with the metaverse like that Facebook sorry now Meta sunk billions of dollars, lit like lit a mountain of venture capital money on fire. Yes. To make a shitty knockoff of Second Life.
1: And in case you haven't noticed, they keep claiming, and then withdrawing the claim, that they have discovered the technology for legs. oh my god like
0: nah y'all aren't even Baldur's Gate mid 2000s come the fuck on (laughs) (laughs) the sims for fuck's sake
1: I mean it's like
0: uh Doom I'm pretty sure there were likes in Doom
1: yeah yeah there actually were Huh. And then, um, like there was oh my god. Like Apparently at Meta, you know how to use their um, Horizon Airprise um, work collaboration thingy. You have to use it weekly. Oh no. Yeah, they're they're trying to get their employees to use it, and apparently that's not working out um.
0: <laughs> they've also announced restructuring and layoffs so you know mm-hmm. it's because they totally fucked up they totally misunderstood what people wanted out of their tech and went in completely the wrong ass direction and they're not the only ones doing this like the entire tech sector has just done a serious like lemming move over the past year in different, unique, and interesting ways, but all basically boiling down to the same dumb bullshit.
1: Yeah. And, like, what we're seeing is, like, for instance with, uh, instance, with semiconductors, we are seeing some signs of recovery. It is looking like we're gonna hit that 2023 um, latter half benchmark that we set. And that the industry said in terms of restoring general availability of, you know, semiconductor goods. But does the economy have that long? And,
0: and I guess that gets us to how we're gonna break the rest of this down coming in close to the half hour mark. Anyone who's still listening, you're a trooper and we love you so much right now. Um, <laughs> um as you can see, it's been a minute since we've been on the air. but uh, So we're going to get into it in terms of the financial aspect, because there's been some financial shit going on, and of course we're going to talk about it while pointing and laughing at all of finance, because everyone should be pointing and laughing at finance. Like, that just is should be the default for discourse. Um, and then getting then getting into the crazy shit with commodities and supply chains and what that's looking like. Cause Oh boy, that that's a huge part of why the fed fucking around probably won't matter. Um, and then, you know, the lingering effects of COVID cause Hey, that that's still a thing. Um, contrary to what the New York times op-ed writers would like people to believe. Um, like, hi, I wait tables. I still wear a mask at work. Cool. I, I don't want to fucking die. Um, <sighs> and then we're just sort of going to ramp from there into is neoliberalism dead? And, you know, I, I think you're going to enjoy our take on that, maybe. So, yeah, let's buckle up. All
1: right. All right so fed dumb. let's go for it what are they doing what, yeah what, what's so dumb about this
0: so folks have probably been seeing stuff in the news about the fed raising the basis interest po- rate and what that means is they're making it more expensive for people to lend money it also means people will make more money if they hold on to it because your interest rates will be higher And savings will accumulate more. So basically, whenever people are raising interest rates, it's bad for borrowers. And it's great for people who are holding debt in terms of like, you owe me money. So now the rate at which you have to pay me back is going to go up. Um, This is a great way to reduce liquidity and the availability of credit in the market which is to say that means there's less spendable money going to be running around and running around. And this has been happening because Jerome Powell at the fed has been saying, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to go for it. And this is based on the assumption that if unemployment goes up, then inflation will go down. That's basically it. Um, Or at least that's the reason that's been given in public by Jerome Powell and company. Uh, And it's this thing called the Phillips Curve, which says that unemployment and inflation are directly correlated. And the lower your unemployment is, the higher the inflation is. And the reason why is because lots of working people are now spending money. And spending money creates inflation because it's injecting more money into the economy and more into the money supply. And therefore, prices go up. Like, that's sort of what the Phillips Curve argument is. It's also complete and utter shit. Like, if you actually chart unemployment versus inflation for any given country ever, you will not see a pattern of inflation correlates to unemployment in the pattern that is asserted in the Phillips Curve. Um, but that's what we're going with. That's the explanation coming from the Fed. Um, is we need to tighten the labor market we need to tighten credit because if we do this it will cool down the economy and take the heat out of the inflationary pressures which is like really fucking dumb and <laughs> also wrong um because we don't have a problem if there's too much money being introduced in the economy because the poor have too much money. Like, again, there was that like COVID stimulus that actually lowered the rate of poverty, but that didn't mean that suddenly, like, the amount of money that went into that was less than a trillion dollars. The amount of money that the Fed farted into space was more than 10 times that. So, like, if we're going to say putting too much liquid capital into the economy is bad, then why is it not bad to do it with no strings attached to the wealthiest and most powerful, but it is bad to do it for everybody else? (laughs) Oh, um, like square that circle. Um, (laughs) Go ahead.
1: So I went looking and it turns out the Fed wants to do it again. Another 75 basis points. 0.75 um they're gonna do that um the 2nd of november that's the plan
0: Uh, yeah so so where they think this is a good idea is because of this dude called paul Volcker, um who back in and i got to have fun reading all kinds of shit about this guy for my graduate thesis so you know the short version is his whole idea was we jack up interest rates we will kill liquidity and that will solve things like the price of oil being too high because there was a legitimate shortage in the supply of oil called the Iranian revolution, you know, little things, little supply and demand things that are econ 101 things, you know, Mm -hmm. if you believe in capitalism. Um, But uh, so what he did was he jacked up interest rates all the way up to like it was well over like 12 or 13 percent, like full percentage points, which, you know, when you think about that, we're talking like every like imagine paying the bullshit interest that you get on a credit card for if people who had mortgages had to pay that level of interest. Like, that's what we're talking about that Volker did. And it just sucked money out of the economy. It didn't really fix the oil price problem that depended on this thing called the North Sea and the Alaskan Prudhoe Bay um oil production to come online. Mm-hmm. So, you know, supply and demand, material conditions, you know, all that shit that capitalism gives lip service to on some level or another but tries to pretend doesn't exist. Um But yeah, in the meantime, that triggered an incredibly brutal recession in the early 1980s that sort of slowly peaked itself up and out the other side to blow up in the savings and loan crisis of 1986. Ooh. As you do.
1: It took forever for that crisis to unwind. To be clear, like...
0: Yeah, so that's the that is the historical example that the Federal Reserve is using for formulating this policy.
1: hmm I guess the question is Will it work? Um Paul Volker stepped in to save capitalism once. Can his ghosts do it again? Pfft
0: fuck no i don't believe in paul Volcker's ghost especially because the motherfucker still isn't actually dead yet
1: he isn't holy shit
0: no he's still with us
1: (laughs) it's like kissinger
0: Uh uh-huh yeah he no he's still alive like not as egregious as kissinger because he you know only did his hat trick once But still, yeah, he probably has a lot of blood on his hands. Like, he probably should be in The Hague. Let's be real. But so what does this mean now? Well, this means, hey, all the last decade since Obama, the economy has been running on basically close to zero percent interest rates and free fucking money from the Fed. And now that's changing in a pretty dramatic way. Because, you know the Obama-Trump economy never actually fixed what made the 2008 crisis possible.
1: Yeah. Like, it took 10 years for things to recover to the point where, you know, like, normal, modest growth had resumed compared to, like, the 2008 baseline. And then COVID happened. That's pretty much it. Like the whole uh, this whole thing, like it's it's fucking wild that they think this is going to work because, like, this is not a this is not a crisis that monetary policy can solve. Like,
0: it, it's not it's not currency oversupply. Yeah, it's. It's legit. Things are not arriving in times and places that they're supposed to show up.
1: Like, yeah, okay, maybe there's a lot of free money that was sloshing around from, you know, the twenty tens, but the problem is, is that's not the problem. It doesn't it doesn't matter how much money you have if the goods don't exist.
0: Yeah. Well like That so much money is slashing around is a problem, but it's not this problem. Yes. And the way to solve it does not involve the Federal Reserve jacking up interest rates. It involves Joe Biden sending the Marines to the Cayman Islands. Pretty much.
1: Instead of Haiti. Like, come on. Send them to the Caymans. Kick out some doors. Um, Clean out the tax havens.
0: taking back 20 trillion dollars in backhoe taxes is just like come on that's yeah gotta be one of the like three justified reasons to use the u.s military
1: <laughs> but you know they're not gonna
0: it do would it. pay for itself
1: it, <laughs> it's a good idea which is why they're not gonna do it
0: But yeah, so, yeah, and and just because there has been a bit of conspiracy brain going on with the libs lately about this, because they point out that, quite correctly, Jerome Powell was originally appointed by Donald Trump, and then he was reappointed by Joe Biden. And what they leave out is this dude is basically sort of the perfect picture of a career fed bureaucrat like specifically Federal Reserve dude Mm -hmm.
1: like this guy's been around for a while this and I don't really think that like this whole crisis was his fault specifically it's like the Federal Reserve in a sense is a blunt instrument it can only really affect monetary policy And so I think that, like, this plan to, like, do a mini Volker Shock is, like, it's not going to work, but it is a plan. It is something that the Federal Reserve can do, that is within its power, and they're not going to switch on, like, the QE6 um, taps. Like, that's not going to happen. They're not going to do a 6 round they barely did a fifth like you know back in 20 <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and let's and let's be particularly clear on that when we're talking within like the whole headspace of stuff around particularly the federal reserve it's like you know Jerome Powell and most of the other people on the governing board who have to agree to this as well as to the committee on financial markets which has to agree to this in the first place like most of the people who are making up these bodies are folks who have spent a significant chunk of if not their entire professional lives being told that Paul Volcker was a saint who saved capitalism
1: yeah I mean they say the same thing about Thatcherism in the UK you know and, and I'm just going to put it out there that like the, one of the first things that Liz Truss did was do the Thatcher thing again. She she pressed the button the magic button that was supposed to make the economy go and instead she killed the bond market. Oops.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it And that, like, it, I think it's worth thinking about because there's, like, definitely some just straight up conspiracist shit I've seen going around of this is because, like, Jerome Powell wants to bring back Donald Trump or something like that. And, like, you know, far be it for me to ever, like, bet against capital and capitalism's willingness to bring fascists into power to kill the left i mean no one's ever gone broke on that bet ever in the history of ever but you know i i think that again it's like it's assuming way too much coordination and deliberate thought on the part of these guys who really are sort of like at one of the nexus points of like the cults that run capitalism and these guys on some level are probably true believers in this shit like Like, I think when Jerome Powell is saying the Phillips curve says we must do this, he is saying that with the exact same conviction as when agents of the Catholic Church were confronting Martin Luther and saying transubstantiation literally happens. This is my body. This is my blood. You know, like, I feel like they're like when he's saying that, I don't think he's trotting out like a bullshit fig leaf. I think he genuinely believes this explains why I have to do this thing. That's a really bad idea.
1: I had to push this button and not the other one because my duty to the faith requires it. Like that's that's very much what it comes down to. He has to invoke the ritual. There is no alternative.
0: Like I think it makes sense to think of the Federal Reserve at this point, as far as our economy is concerned, not so much as being an institution with a deliberate agenda or goals, and more like the Manson family.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you want to get really sympathetic, you could just say they're button pushers, but I think that's a wide you know, quite a bit. Like There are things the Federal Reserve could probably do that would actually help. It's just... It's not the done thing. You know?
0: Like, those are all things that would involve walking up to Wall Street and saying those are a mighty nice pair of kneecaps there. Be a shame if something happened to them.
1: Yeah. Like some of it is just like you know our legislature just doesn't work. period
0: yeah uh, which the fed has pointed out by the way like that's this is not us saying the fed is good or doing the right thing here at all this is completely a stupid fucking idea but like jerome powell has said on more than one occasion since like when build back better started to flounder that if Congress doesn't do anything, then the Fed is going to have to do stuff, and the Fed doesn't really have that many options for doing stuff.
1: Yeah. And would you know it, that's what happened. They didn't do anything, or at least, at the very least, didn't do enough. Like, the IRA stuff is going to take forever to play out. Um, we're not going to get into it here, but it's yeah like there's n- there's nothing else to be done like all of this depends on like a government that functions and our government does not function it hasn't for years <laughs> decades
0: and this is where shit gets really fun in the world of finance because the fed is basically going yeah the best we can do is a thing that causes a crisis Mm -hmm. as financial markets are sort of on the edge of a crisis like for example this was something we were following like a couple weeks back uh credit suisse for anyone who follows meme stocks recently ate bricks um in a big way, and for legitimate reasons of things like, oh shit, it looks like one of the most important banks in European finance might be in trouble. Yeah. Seriously in trouble. Um, so that has gotten worse since Credit Suisse became a meme stock for anyone who's not following. They have within the past week, lost their chief compliance officer and their chief operating... and their CEO. Like, both just out the door. And now they're asking Qatar, along with Morgan Stanley and some other big players in Wall Street, to bail them out to the tune of $6 billion, which, you know, doesn't sound like much, except that this has to be an infusion of capital. It can't just be... We would like some Wall Street bullshit and promises, please, that we can pr- all pretend as money, not and wink.
1: Yeah, like they need anywhere from four to uh, four to eight billion. They're asking for six, and it's like, yeah, that sounds like the but it's like, like, uh, like you said, you know, that's actual capital that has to be. Here. Who's going to finance
0: them? Like... Like, we're not talking, like, the kind of vapor money bullshit that Elon Musk did to try to buy Twitter. Yeah. Like, we're talking actual assets and resources. Like...
1: Whatever money is put up, it has to be back to
0: Exactly. And asking for six like four to eight billion dollars now in that kind of resources isn't just saying oh shit we're a bank who like farts that out on a daily basis on the derivatives market we don't care this is a bank going right uh, actually we need a pretty significant chunk of not so easy to get capital and we need it yesterday yeah or european finance is in trouble um like this is as of like October twenty third, so we're gonna see how this goes.
1: Yeah, and this is like most of this is going to like their budget to like like it's not necessarily a liquidity thing, it's like operating expenses basically. They want to restructure the whole thing and that takes a lot of money and a lot of maneuvering nobody knows if it's actually possible for credit Suisse to dig itself out of this fucking hole but you know that
0: restructuring and, and let's be real when we're talking restructuring in the world of finance we're talking somebody saying so I think your house doesn't work we need to rebuild it while you're living inside of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's not a little thing that credit Suisse is going we have to restructure
1: Oh, and there's also saying, Don't you dare move out. I need your red payment.
2: <laughs> like that. <Yeah. laughs> That's exactly what's happening here.
0: Uh-huh. With, you know, one of the biggest financial houses in Europe.
2: Yeah.
1: Like
0: No big thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean they've they've had like so many bumps and bruises along the way it's like you know at the end of the day someone's gonna have to eat shit like you know if it wasn't them it would probably be someone else but like they've just they've eaten too much shit like
0: well deutschbank looks like they're eating shit in a similar way too which is you know i mean not that surprising they're the number one bank for oligarchs and money laundering but
1: now there's a market (laughs) that's (laughs) collapse
0: yeah (laughs) Uh, they're also unfortunately which says a lot about capitalism these days a significant chunk of what keeps global finance afloat you know turns out hanky ass illegal business that's horrible and fucks people up is also essential to capitalism. Who knew?
1: Yep. Look, the loot they took from the fall of the USSR, it ain't gonna spin itself.
0: Exactly. It's like, bubble economy is everywhere. Just bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. Like, there's a great one from the World Economic Forum that came out earlier this month in October 2022. You know, the same guys who host Davos talking about what are the cities with the highest risk of a housing bubble? Like, one, hooray, the World Economic Forum is going, hey, there might actually be a lot of cities that have risk of this. And two, when you look at the top ten, it's fun. You know, just Toronto, Canada frankfurt in the heart of the rhine in germany totally nothing wrong there zurich switzerland you know totally not one of the most elite housing markets on the planet munich oh hong kong (laughs) vancouver because you know it's not like there's not whole buildings full of empty units that exist on investment portfolios and also in physical space Oh, that Amsterdam. That actually um, Tel Aviv. Oh, even better. (laughs) And, And Tokyo. So yeah, it's like oh right, when we're saying the place is most likely to have housing bubble, these are also some of the most significant housing markets on the planet.
1: Yeah, like what ended up happening is like some of these places ended up having to do like vacancy taxes. Which, you know, fucked with things in, like, both directions. And not all of these places, you know, even bothered with that. It's like. Oh my god. Like. It's
0: gonna
1: be. It's. It's gonna be something. It's some
0: fun shit. (laughs) Like. And this is, by the way, the top 10 of their ranking of the top 25, most likely. And when you drill down further, it's not any better. We're not talking things like, oh, shit, there was a land rush in this place that was obviously stupid and now it's going to go kaboom. It's, We're talking like some of the most significant in terms of value and like tied up capital and hard assets on the planet is go to Tel Aviv on this chart?
1: Because
0: that, like, the really short version is as I understand it, Tel Aviv has had some, like, serious turbo gentrification and shit that's pretty similar to, like, San Francisco and Portland and that's part of what has helped, like, B.B. Netanyahu pull his bullshit for a long time <laughs> because at least there was, like, money being created by, like, dumb real estate shenanigans. Um... <laughs> basically yeah there's also probably some right of return thrown in there i don't know um i don't know enough about that part of it but i know that that's part of it is that there's just been money getting parked there because that's the most reliable trend of the like post 2008 economy is places that found ways to grow were usually because they were finding ways to get money parked in real estate or something equally dumb
1: Like, there just isn't a lot of places to put all of that free money that they were in back in the 2010s. Like, and so you see all sorts of dumb shit. Like, (laughs) fucking Tel Aviv exploding.
0: Or like, in San Francisco, because this is on the ballot in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. um. There is a vacancy tax because turns out the city attorney's office found there was something like 40,000 as in 40k, Warhammer 40k empty housing units in San Francisco, empty residential units that could have been occupied and are not cuz investment asset. Yeah. In a city of 800,000 people. 40 Thousand units that are deliberately being kept off the market. Like, you want to fix the housing crisis in San Francisco? Just put all 40,000 of those units on the market at a rate that somebody waiting tables can afford. Like, you will fix the rent crisis overnight, because I guarantee there is no faster way to build 40,000 fucking residential units than that.
1: Pretty much. I mean, it's not a long-term fix, but good. God, 40k?
0: Yes. Got a whole games workshop.
1: Oh <laughs> fuck it. Half of those are owned by like Russian oligarchs. They shouldn't get to keep that shit.
0: Fuck now. Like I think that was actually a thing in like some places in the Netherlands and a couple spots in the UK. After the war started, it was some like anarchists were like neat. So that means we take oligarch properties, right? <laughs> it's like as one should.
1: Mm-hmm. Ah, speaking
0: like those are some good sanctions. Um,
1: but yeah, speaking of Russia, oh
0: yeah. God. So this gets, this gets us to the commodity side of the problem because you know. We were like talking about this in the pre show that there's basically only like three kinds of economic crises, and those are like a commodity crisis, a financial crisis, and a labor crisis. Um, So, yeah, commodity crisis time.
1: Ooh. Like, one of the reasons for the shortages um, in the semiconductor industry is neon. We need lots of it especially to produce anything with EUV. We need those to make the lasers work efficiently. Indeed, at all. And there are basically two places that produce it um, that are accessible to us after the fall of the USSR. Ukraine and Russia. The Ukraine plants are more or less closed right now. And, um
0: can't actually
2: buy Russian neon right now. That stuff is all under sanctions. So...
0: <laughs> I guess we're fucked! Yeah. And, you know, it. what makes it even more fun is Russia and Ukraine are two of the largest suppliers to the world of three very critical commodities y'all might have heard of called Grain, oil, and natural gas. Yep. Might have heard of those recently. Like It, it, it might have come up somewhere in the business press somewhere.
1: Uh, contrary to popular belief, you cannot hate yourself on hitting Russia. I mean... And
0: neither can you do it with... Bullshit Thatcherism, but that <laughs> didn't stop Liz Truss.
2: She pushed the Thatcherism. Now it's all dead.
0: She oh, only God. made it for Scaramucci's.
1: <laughs> like how? But yeah, it's like, and basically, in Russia's invasion, broke a lot of things. Russia isn't just a state, they export other raw materials, or they did. Um, well, the same thing for Ukraine too. Um, but like that's over now because Putin has his legacy to consider, or something.
0: I don't know what uh, he's and thinking. This- like, it seemed like it was gonna be another round of the same shit until Putin went, I cancel Ukraine! Because they're combo Nazis.
1: Pretty much.
0: And now you got, like, Dugan and all these guys talking about, like, crusades against the satanic West and all this other, like... I'm sorry, is this the 700 Club? Yeah. Come on, why the fuck are there people that say they're leftists who are on this guy's side anymore, dude?
1: It's like, did you see the whole desatification thing?
0: Yeah. It. Oh yeah, like, esoteric Twitter's just been having a day with that. Oh,
1: God. But... I mean, that's not the only problem.
0: Like, pro tip, if a whole country is going satanic panic is why we started a war, they might be the bad guys? Mm-hmm.
1: They might not be the Just easiest people to deal with either, you know? Like...
0: They might have funny ideas about reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, you know, that's had an impact. Like, you yeah. know
0: opec
1: like there oh yeah oh man that's a
0: mess like i actually yeah i i think there's actually a little more thinking involved there because like i like i suspect that the point at which thinking was involved in russia invading ukraine stopped the moment putin went ukraine is not a real country but i think opec plus which is you know opec sitting down with russia and a couple other non OPEC major oil exporters to figure out how to basically make all this shit work um i think the decision by them to engage in production cuts which by the way means gas prices are going up again that's why that's happening hey guess what there's not much anyone who is called the president of the United States can do about it because hooray capitalism and hooray fossil fuels and all that shit. Um, like you want to be pissed at somebody go be pissed at like Mr. Bonesaw over in Riyadh, but um Very much. like ostensibly they're saying we want to jack this up because, you know, officially it's, We're trying to preserve supplies because that's usually what comes out from OPEC and OPEC's members when they're saying they're cutting production because they're not actually going to say we want to jack up prices for any particular discernible reason. Like the last time they actually said that outright was in like 1973. And that was because their argument during the oil shock was we're bringing prices back to their actual level and we're making you guys pay and we don't give a fuck like they haven't really given that kind of explanation since then because they know that doesn't play very well but i think that on some level this is partly because all these oil exporting powers and we've talked about this before we did a whole special called the death of oil really sort of like nailed themselves against the concrete in 2020 and Oil prices had stabilized into 2021, so now the actual as well as artificial scarcity that's coming from Russia's war means it's a great opportunity to make some quick fucking money. And when you look at who the people are at the heart of OPEC+, Plus, like Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and all, and all these other folks, all of them have been very deliberately for the past decade doing their level best to get the fuck out of depending on oil money like like this isn't a new thing this has been what like the persian gulf powers at the very least have been doing since the 1970s on some level or another but that's like why you're seeing shit like the saudi monarchy actually putting saudi aramco up for an initial public offering and making it into a privately held corporation or like the emirates throwing huge amounts of money after tourism and making a world cup stadium. That's going to kill the soccer players and the people who are building it. Um, you know, that's, that's why they're doing shit like this is because they're trying to diversify away from an oil based economy. And that's always been what these countries have been trying to do because you don't want to be dependent on just one commodity. That's just bad macroeconomics. Like that never ends. Well, um, (laughs) just ask haiti
1: How ask Latin america
0: like yeah <laughs> yeah like i think that what's going on there is there's bigger pressures as well as some dumb opportunistic bullshit at work like what is kind of interesting is that now like joe biden is saying that opec plus has taken the side of russia which is some pretty fighting words right now
1: yeah and like <laughs> I mean part of it is like Biden does not like Mr. saw that much. Like
0: Like does anybody?
1: Trump did. Kind of.
0: Which says Trump is cool standing in the same room as a guy who likes doing the Doctor Doom treatment with a fucking vat full of dip.
2: Pretty much. Pretty
0: Sorry, much. Judge Doom. <laughs> There's too many bad people named Doom in our popular culture. <laughs> you know, Christopher Lloyd, cackling, being a toon. Come on. Anyway, I- I'm sure the Zoomers are, like, looking at the screen going, what the fuck? Ugh. But
1: both these actors, I think, Line up to something that's been kind of kicking around among like China watchers who actually know what they're talking about is well, Belt and Road Initiative. Is it working? Though at last, It's fucked. Like the whole plan They're kinda kicking around like is this salvageable or not? The whole
0: Well plan, like what was the point of it?
1: I mean the point was to basically establish commodity flows between, you know, Europe and China, Africa and China, places like that, you know, Thai... China into you know the global network of capital and to accomplish like the Europe-China segment, there's not a lot of routes you can use that don't pass through Russia. In fact, right now two of the routes that they were planning to use are they're not closed, closed but they're not doing so hot. And, like...
0: I mean, for variations on the word hot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, what... The problem is, is, like, Europe doesn't want goods from China that are transited through Russia, partly because of sanctions, partly because, like... You know, half the EU really fucking hates Russia. Um, and the other half is not going to argue for them. Like, they're not going to tell Poland, no.
0: <laughs> because... Like, in, in, def- in defense of Poland, and I have never said those words before, and I probably will never say them again, because fuck the far-right government in Poland and all that Christo-fascist bullshit they're doing, Mm -hmm. Russia did say we cancel Ukraine. And there is some history there.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, Poland is on, like, the next front line. If Russia were somehow able to summon a proper army and pile right through Ukraine... Or if they were to invade Belarus to a stage against NATO, like Poland gets it first. So, you know, they're nervous. Nervous is probably understating it by quite a bit. So, like, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, half the European Union's lost their mind. But, like, what did you really expect after what happened to the USSR and the Warsaw Pact? Like What did you really expect there?
0: Yeah. It's, you know, like, it. it this is not to say that the, you know, folks like Orban or the Polish government are in any way defensible. Mm-hmm. Just that You know, even if they were like some kind of left wing social democracy in the mold of like the SNP or something like that, they probably would still be losing their shit in a similar way. Yeah. Like, let's be real. There's a bit of history in that part of the world, and Russia kicking up their boots to start a war of aggression in a way that is a significant escalation from previous action is you know like even people who are not Christ is King types are going to be going this might be bad
1: yeah and it's like I will I will never forgive Russia for making NATO relevant again seriously why How, like
0: <laughs> it, it could have <laughs> the best thing for that multi polarity fantasy that like entirely too many tankies say is their goal would have been for Russia to not do this because eventually the European Union would have drifted away from the United States and then you get like this whole world that's the US and the EU and Russia and China and there's your multipolarity. Yeah. Instead of, you know, what we got now like if that was the point then putin did it in the most bass-ackwards way possible just saying Yeah. so what's left with this
1: commodity crisis but
0: well like a thing that's big with this is again like this means Physical stuff that is necessary for production is not at points of production.
1: Yeah, and that's happening all like, throughout the chain. From
0: yeah, these are just particular things that are making it substantially worse.
2: Yeah,
0: and and this is happening throughout the chain because COVID happened. Yeah, and it's and is still happening, by the way. Ooh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Million dead in the U.S., remember that. Hey, folks, that does have an impact on the economy.
1: (laughs) Yep. Something like six million people were removed from the employment rules as fallout from that, like... You know, dying is like not the only outcome. You know. like if you get the really bad shit, you know, long COVID, um, crippling injury, and shit like that. Ah, <sighs> and it's like, what are you really gonna? do with this like not only have we lost all those workers we also you know the unemployment the employment market is like massively jacked up right now because like you know because of industry churn, because like it wasn't just covid it was like everything like We still manufacture quite a bit. We are world's second factory. And how does that continue when, you know, you got a million dead and like six million jobs that need to be filled?
0: Especially when that million dead and to an extent six million jobs to be filled has disproportionately fallen on those jobs that are necessary for making a really overstretched, super lean, super efficient, frictionless supply chain to work.
1: Yeah. Like...
0: Where nothing can break. Everything has to go right, as we've seen with COVID, for neoliberal supply chains to work. And COVID just went and dumped a whole bucket of sand in all those gears. Mm -hmm. Like we know this from the UC San Francisco study that was done in late 2020. There has since been research that's come from places like the World Bank that has gone, oh wait, this really just did a number on the parts of the workforce that were extremely overstretched and also necessary for keeping the economy going as it did. Mm-hmm. And like, like, the Fed fucking with interest rates cannot fix that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even at just, like, the most mundane end, like, you know, um... Like, I won't say that, like, red states necessarily have this problem, but, like, you know, you can't just shut everything off every time you have a cold. Um, like, it, does, it doesn't work that way. And, like, you know, our whole workaholic culture of, like, you know, you, you should work for a cold, you should work through the flu. Um, if you have the syphilis, you need to come in um, unless you got a doctor's out. Like, that... If
0: you can get a doctor.
1: <laughs> like, I personally had a COVID scam, um, fairly recently. And it was like, maybe it was a breakthrough infection. Maybe it was just a cold or maybe it was like the um the creek near my apartment getting stuffed up with algae. like you know i mean i reacted to that i i have no fucking idea and it's that uncertainty which is like it's that uncertainty that like disrupts production because it's like if you do take this seriously um then it's like every time you have a sniffle, you're like, is this it? Have I been infected? Uh, is this going to be like the one that gets me? Or is this just a cold? Like, how the fuck am I supposed to be? Because the symptoms keep changing. Apparently that's one of the things that changed with the newer variants, like the Micron. The, the symptom profile itself changed. So, like, (laughs) what the fuck are you supposed to do? Like, you know, in a red state, they're just going to tell you to come in anyway. Unless, you know, like, there's, like, specific policy to block that. And, like, all of these random disruptions to the flows of labor and capital are going to break things.
0: And we're not talking like the days of when Marx's reserve army of labor was a thing. And, you know, for folks not familiar with that phrase, like that was an expression that Marx and Engels coined in their stuff back in like the 1800s, where they're talking about how within industrial societies of the time, there was a vast body of unemployed or underemployed people who could always be brought in to relieve any disruptions that happen within an industry and that becomes you know a pressure for like keeping wages low and stuff like that and that was that's been like a sort of a core formulation for how like marxist analysis of labor economics and stuff like that has worked but we're sort of living now because of the way neoliberalism has worked as well as because of things like automation and streamlining of production that now you can't really do that yeah. The people that have to go into any mode of production. Like, for example, you can see all kinds of shit in Bloomberg of the like folks talking all kinds of shit on restaurant workers as saying, oh, that's technically considered unskilled labor, like being a chef, like being a line cook or being like a front of house worker is technically unskilled labor as far as like the important people in the economy are concerned. I guarantee you could grab any of these turds who go in Bloomberg or CNBC or whatever and say that millennials just have to stop eating avocado toast if they want to have money to buy a house. I guarantee every single one of them would be crying in a corner before like, they make they wouldn't even make it an hour into a lunch rush. Forget dinner or a holiday or anything that's actually really kind of hairy and makes actual professionals in the industry like start to see the whites of their eyes like this is like and this is what's considered unskilled labor. It's the same thing in agriculture of a lot of these folks who are like migrant workers and stuff like that. There is a lot of very specific knowledge and experience that goes into being able to do that. And neoliberalism has actively said we need to hyper specialize, we need to streamline, we need to eliminate redundancy. So that means now you have an economy that's spectacularly good at saying you need five years in a programming language that's only existed for three, you need to have 10 years in a mode of production that's only been around for four. Oh shit. And then we told them to charge into plague pits. Like, there is no reserve (laughs) army of labor. (laughs) Because the capitalists done fucking killed it.
1: It turns out that when you send them over the trenches, they don't always come back.
0: And you know, if you spend 20 years going, we don't actually need that. Oh, and oops.
1: Like. Ugh. I just. Yeah. This. What else? can't run an economy like this, something's gotta give and it. everything I'm seeing, everything we're seeing is like things are giving, maybe they're not giving as like quickly as like we would expect like you know, tomorrow we wake up and you know, everything's on fire, like it rarely works that way (laughs) It's like,
0: <laughs> well, like, that's where it gets really perverse because it's when you look at historical economic collapses, they have these periods of extended buildup. Like, this is something that, like, you know, Robert Evans and the folks at Um, it could happen here called the crumbles, like, way back when they were getting their thing started. Um, this idea that everything just slowly falls apart until finally everything's just done. But like when you look at an economic collapse, you do have an extended period of crumbles, but eventually you hit a point where the stuff that has crumbled is structurally necessary. Like it's the difference between the drywalls falling apart and chunks of ceiling are falling down to structurally necessary beams just cleaved in two because termites ate it in half like and once that happens it's not like oh chunks of ceiling and drywall are falling down it's that wall just went along with a large portion of the roof and the rest of the building is now structurally unsound like small shit fails and then decent sized shit fails and eventually you hit a point that something in Im- breaks, and there's no way to fix it.
1: Yeah. Or, like, you know, the fixed economy button that's on the Prime Minister's table no longer works. Or it, you know, detonates a nuke in field or whatever. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing, like, this whole assumption that a lot of us have made and I would probably count myself as guilty of this as well is like a lot of us have assumed that like just because like the neoliberal brainworms are alive and well they're still being you know transmitted memetically um, academic um, academic orthodoxy is still in the neoliberal neoclassical mode when they're not Austrians. Like, all of that is to say that, like, you know, while all of that is true, I I think that neoliberalism uh, is probably dead.
0: Um, oh, yeah. Like, it, it's dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we, I.
0: We can all smell but,
1: it. <laughs> like, I, I sort of. The
0: body's ripe.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, the thing that it was, is, you know, I didn't want to say it in case you know, like, oh, you know, they they pull a rabbit out of their hat, they get the whole you know, eternal market thing going again, but like, it's dead. And it has been since 2008. Like, that was what finished it off, and We're just all lurching around in the wreckage. You know, trying to figure out what else to do. Or just, you know, invoking the same empty bullshit over and over again. Hoping that this will return the economy to normality.
0: Like, in other words, like the Obama-Trump economy was basically cannibalism. Mhm. And like there were there were no new markets to conquer, so all they could do was just keep ripping shit out of the walls.
1: Pretty much. And it's like, you know, it maybe it's like because we now have the benefit of history to look at, we can now see that. Yeah, okay. This is dead. Like this whole mode is dead and we're just kind of in this error uh, waiting for something else to appear. And so far, I mean, you mentioned in the pre show, you think they're stumbling towards converging towards some sort of Derishmi import substitution program, in your opinion?
0: yeah like like i think that because like we can look at the invocations of the defense production act which for anyone who's running to google to figure out what the fuck that is don't worry that is a thing that has not actually come up very much since like the 1980s on a regular basis like certainly not until the last within two years of like you know either of our lifetimes and certainly not in a big way since the 1970s and basically the defense production act is a law that was passed in 1950 in response to the korean war that gives the president of the united states the authority to basically do a command economy if he can say in the defense of the national interest while doing that Mm -hmm. sorry i shouldn't have gendered the presidency like that it's just every time it's been a fucking man so you know Um, saying that as like cis white guy, but um, yeah. Anyway, point is, this has not really been used very much. Like we we looked at this in the pre-show, and the number of times that it the Defense Production Act was used from like when Bill Clinton was in office until the beginning of COVID could be counted on like one hand, like there was one time in the nineties when Clinton invoked it for some stuff related to FEMA. That was stuff around regularizing supply chains. There was also a time when he like tried to slap a bandaid on the whole Enron crisis in California, like literally weeks before he left office. And then George W. Bush rescinded the order to say, fuck California. You can deal with blackouts because Enron did dumb bullshit involving money and energy. Um, totally not a theme in the history of economics ever um and then after that like obama invoked it for some cybersecurity shit in 2011 but no it was like 2012 but yeah like it wasn't really a thing as far as something that happens no it was just like a we want information thing it was like even like trump was like the first time funny enough in like 2017 when he said hey we should do stuff to secure the supply of things we need to make satellites and stuff for making vaccines which i suspect was written by like the rex tillerson type people who actually were semi-competent at doing things like before they all got fired anyway um because you know it happened in like june of 2017 um But, you know, like, up until COVID happened, literally, we're talking, like, that's, like, four times. This is not something that's come up very much. And then since COVID-19 has kicked off, there have been 12 different invocations by first Donald Trump and then by Joe Biden, who both have invoked the Defense Production Act about the same amount of times. And for things like everything from making, like securing the supply of vaccines to securing the supply of protective uh gear for like medical workers and everybody else um and like all kinds of other related stuff that is a significant like on the surface you could say okay each individual thing makes sense but that you have basically like 12 invocations within a 2 year time frame of a law that's only shown up like years in the previous like 30 and this is a law that is specifically about allowing the president to directly monkey around in the economy that's a significant shift in terms of direct state involvement in economic affairs
1: and to be clear this is not the road to socialism
0: <laughs> no <laughs> socialism is not when government does stuff yes like it's like come on
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's also been doing other things like you know the chips act which basically secured a bunch of money for like building out fabs in the united states um which i can kind of speak to um like tsmc is doing a facility in arizona i think um And Intel is doing one in Columbus, there's several other build outs, Um, I believe they're all 300 nanometer, the TSMC and Intel ones are UV, so they're, you know, um, for the high speed logic stuff, Um, I think SK Hynix is also doing something but I don't recall where, Um, but like the thing to note about all of this is pretty much that none of this stuff is going to come online anytime soon. Like TSMC's build out was being done in like 2020 and they're, they're saying they're not even going to have chips coming out until like 2024 quarter one. Intel probably won't have anything online in Columbus until 2025, 2026. Like, they're doing some work, but, like, you know, it takes a long time to build out a facility and put machines into it. Um, This is very sensitive stuff. Uh, Like, the machines that they use to produce. You know, high-speed digital logic chips, DRAM, flash memory. Um, all of that stuff is very expensive. There is one company in the world that does this, um, ASML, who do not sell to China, by the way. Um, they do not sell UV anything to China. And they produce 49 machines a year, somewhere around there, 45 to 50 And they're all spoken for. Every single last one of those machines is spoken for. And will probably be spoken for for the foreseeable future. So this is not going to really fix anything. And that was even before the whole fallout with um, SMIC. And apparently um, Biden signed an executive order that treats export of sub-14 nanometer um, technology, so like high-end of um, UV stuff, that's it's basically now illegal to transfer that technology to China without a license. Um, And basically if you're an engineer in China working on that stuff and you're a U.S. citizen, um, or you're working for a U.S. company, um, you can't, anymore. not without really follow the law. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, this is this is some straight up mercantilist shit. Yeah, let's be real. Like this is the states intervening in the economy. I mean, we're not offering an opinion on that either way, because. <laughs> The state exists to protect the capitalist class, too, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like. It's just. It's kind of funny that now they treat that like, you know, the movement of these engineers like you would uh, people who work on nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons. It's like one rank below that in terms of, like, butthole inspection so
0: and this is all of this adds up to you like i don't think there's a coherent philosophy behind it but it is adding up to people within the u.s government at the very least and there's also similar stuff that's been going on in europe that are saying actually the state does have an interest in what happens in the economy which under neoliberalism The state doesn't have an interest in the economy. The only interest the state has in the economy is making sure that, you know, contracts are adhered and some kind of sort of night watchman state ideal is what happens. And this is not that. Yeah. At all.
1: Oh, and um, some countries should be pretty. Like they should be engaged in the manufacture of tokens for economic funds yeah not even every country just stop <laughs>
0: and, and like this is like what you've been describing at bringing back semiconductors is in line with stuff that was in a mckinsey yes like that mckinsey the fuckers that mayor pete used to work for way back in the day um released a report in november 2021 That said, okay, everybody's talking about bringing supply chains back, but what they've been able to do is mostly just find ways to accumulate stateside inventory while there's a huge lag on getting the manufacturing up. Yeah. Because, you know, building productive capacity is not easy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's one thing that Russia has definitely... It turns out that to replace advanced industrial processes. If you want to do the autarky thing, you kind of have to do all of it. And that's difficult. It's a lot more difficult than it looks like. It's not just, um, you know, make a tool to make a tool to make a tool. It's, you have to have, like, from day one, thousands of parts working in concert just to build a machine tool. And that's like step one of bringing back industrial production. And, (laughs) well, I hope you were producing all 5,000 of those parts before. I guess,
0: yeah like that's what's so funny about all this shit with neoliberalism falling apart right now is the entire assumption mm-hmm. of prosperity and trade will guarantee peace is part of what has made neoliberalism work. it's what has papered over the fact that geopolitically speaking the people's republic of china and the united states of america have diametrically opposing geopolitical goals like There are just certain points where they cannot agree and the points where they cannot agree are ones that are pretty fundamental to how you conceive the world order. Yeah. And yet we've had 30 some odd years of neoliberalism basically papering this over going, well, don't worry with peace and trade and commerce. Everyone will be too bound up in this like peaceful prosperity to upset the apple cart. And, they said the same thing in the early 1900s, too. Yeah. Then some dude got shot in Serbia.
1: Pretty much. There was a newspaper clipping I saw um, around that era where they were like, the R Street Ferdinand getting shot actually means that now there's no risk of war in Europe.
0: Um, you, I'm sure there's stuff from the <laughs> beginning of the war <laughs> between Russia and Ukraine that said the same damn bullshit.
1: Yeah. It's like, this stuff repeats itself. Like, you know, there's like, every time we have like one of these major events, there's people who are like, yeah, no, everything's fine. Or, like, the inciting incident is actually... Good for Bitcoin, you know, good for capitalism, good for whatever. And then it turns out very much that it's not. That no, we've sparked off a crisis and now we have to deal with it.
0: (sighs) And that's just how it's going and what has gone before. It is just an absolute like that the neoliberal order convince itself that they could just buy their way to smoothing over the deep inequalities and disparities that exist within the system they're maintaining and the inherent contradictions and like destructive potential that has to be there for capitalism to work is just kind of astonishing. And that's, you know, like, it's not just, the state doing stuff therefore neoliberalism dead it's the whole reality of these major powers are never going to get into a conflict because it's bad for the economy is dead in a ditch right now
1: yeah I mean that's that's why you know Belt and Road is like it's so controversial in China right now because it's like how the fuck do you continue this project like, two of the major transit routes that we were planning to do these huge commodity flows with, they're no longer available. Like, <laughs> how are you going to, how are you going to do this when, you know, Russia is busy fighting Ukraine and Iran is, like, a total fucking mess internally right now? Like, how how do you do that? And, like, honestly, the the Russia thing is bigger from their perspective. Like, yeah, you know, Iran may sort itself out, it may not. Um you know. Good luck to the revolutionaries, <laughs> um, from my perspective. But from theirs it's like, oh no, how <laughs> like, you know, that was like their last chance to like salvage this whole project, and now one of the major hubs they were planning to use is uh experiencing unrest right now. You know, people chanting death to the regime. <laughs> um, the little things. Yes! And so it's like, this whole idea to, you know, glue the world together and, you know, affirm this neoliberal project, here in word or deed, it's like, that's dead
0: it's dead and and, you know just in case anyone had any doubt whatsoever we had Liz Truss happen yes who we have been dunking on quite a bit so far in this episode because she really fucking deserves it (laughs) she did a Thatcher and the financial markets, who made Thatcher, gave a big fat thumbs down.
1: Yeah, like you know, the, the British pound nearly became, kind of, still is, like equivalent to one of those shit coins that recently collapsed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Kaiser Capital went no those motherfuckers gotta die on the sand
1: hey she did kill the queen though so you know you win some you lose some
0: that, that is you know an amazing speed run you, ju- you killed the pound you killed the queen you killed functional government in the united kingdom like uh, like I gotta wonder if she's just like this long running anarchist Deep cover, like doing the most incredible direct action ever of lining herself up to just blow up the British government. Like Guy Fox could not have done it better, let's be real.
1: <laughs> oh my god. So what did we learn? ah that
0: capitalism is sort of fucked right now
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh my god i just i still don't know what to say to
0: all this (laughs) the the bottom's going out Mm -hmm. like that's all i can say really it's like Like it's just, it just is so perfect that we're getting all this dumb shit, like Elon Musk's text messages, or like fucking Alex Jones's text messages, or just all this other assorted dumb shit that's coming out. That's showing all these captives in industry are just really fucking stupid. Like it feels appropriate that that is happening now as the material and social conditions are accumulating on the side of and everything is about to blow the end.
1: Mm-hmm. So, is that it?
0: Yeah, I think that's it.
1: Alright. So, yeah. Um, is our Patreon still running? On- if it is
0: i think it is
1: yeah if it is <laughs> you should check it out for us five bucks can't promise we'll do you know like a whole bunch of episodes like frankly you know, that weekly shot is killed us
0: <laughs> but like we might we might do a thing around like riffing on economic history or something like do a kind of behind-the-bastard sort of shtick because that seems safer psychologically.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun.
0: Well, like, how many times can we just keep going and then this got worse the end? (laughs) And in fairness, it's not all getting totally worse. Like, renewable energy is still beating the shit out of fossil fuels at the cost curve, and... Maybe someday we need to do that crazy ass too cheap to meter special episode about how, not because of anything capitalism's done, but because of just the way technology works that we still might be able to get out of all this bullshit. A good chunk, yeah. Not just that. I mean, <laughs> we still have to do stuff with the technology.
1: Yeah, as always, the problem is implementation. Like, <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, solar panels are not going to walk down the street and, like, save the day. Like, that would be cool, but it won't happen. That's not how solar panels work. Um, I don't think. But yeah, yeah, we have, we still have the Patreon. We'll be figuring out what it is we're going to do, and... Yeah. This has been Chop Shop. We ride again.
1: Maybe one final time. Maybe more. Who knows? But. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Good luck.